0: Hey Fit Pros, before we get to this new episode in the Kips podcast, I want to quickly share about our newest course on Kips, Social Media for Fitness Professionals. This course is all about the fundamentals. As a Fit Pro, you know how fundamental exercises are important for building a foundation within an exercise program. And that's what we're going to be doing in this course, authored by me, Tyler Valencia. I go through the stats involving all the major social media platforms and then show you step by step how to do it. In the first lecture, I built a fictitious business branding kit with a new logo, color wheel, and font, and then we use those to set up new Facebook pages, start a private group, how to use Creator Studio, set up a basic Facebook ad, set up an Instagram, how to post on Instagram, and how to set up a YouTube channel. We do it all in this course, and one of the best parts is you can get your continuing education credits. Head to the link in the description to find out more. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Kips Podcast. My name is Tyler Valencia and I'm the president of Kips and Time to Train Fitness. I have a guest that I recently met, but it's a topic that I'm really going to enjoy jumping into and sharing with our audience. We're going to be talking about things involving unionizing the fitness industry. We're talking about inequalities. We're going to talk about things that you've maybe seen during your time in the fitness industry and we'll go into different tangents of that area and somebody that has really been working on something that hopefully you will partake in after listening a survey to get more information to hopefully better our industry. We have Emily Stewart on the podcast. Emily, thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Let's kick it off for the listeners. Can you give a description about yourself, your current business, your educational background and kind of how you got to where you are now?
1: Yeah. So, um, it always makes me laugh to think of my first certificate was in boot camp fitness in 2011. I was nice. finishing up my, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I don't even, I don't even know if I was doing that. I think I just saw you could get this fitness certificate. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I had actually started taking group fitness classes, um, back when I was 15. And I feel I should mention that because sometimes it blows, I'm 33 now. And sometimes it kind of blows me away to think of how the fabric of group fitness has been woven into my life. Yep. Um, and that was also the first time I took yoga and mm. I'll never forget seeing I had stayed, I had found a step aerobics class. My mom had kicked me out of the house for being too hyper. She was like, go to the rec center. <laughs> like, okay. So I went to the rec center and I saw all these, the step aerobics and I, I had been doing my mom's aerobic VHSs and I was like, this is the real thing. So I jumped in and after the class, the lights turned off and I loved the class, the lights turned off and all these people very solemnly started filing in. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing this adult, older, like older adult man, get down on the floor and get into what is happy baby pose. I now know. And I was, I remembered he was wearing leggings (laughs) and I was so disgusted. I was so (laughs) disgusted, (laughs) but I stayed like that was, that made me curious enough. Um, And kind of the rest is history. I've always been a total group fitness groupie. Um, But yeah, you know, it it took a little while after 2011, I had some health issues. I actually was diagnosed as orthorexic Mm. and went to treatment for orthorexia Mm -hmm. Um, that was related to, you know, um, exercise addiction and food control issues. Mm Um, and you know, group fitness played into that. And that was definitely one of the dark sides of our industry that I noticed. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until 2015 when I was living in England. Um, and I was living in a very small village and I couldn't find a yoga class I liked. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to teach it. And I found an online teacher training program, which at that time was completely Mm -hmm. unheard of. And it's Alana Kaivalya's program. It still exists today. And it was now that I look back, now I have over 10 different certificates under my belt. I'll tell you what they are. But that Mm -hmm. yoga teacher training was the most rigorous It was the most in-depth, anatomically, psychologically, functionally, spiritually. It took me two years to complete. I was teaching as I was doing it, which is not necessarily kosher, but I learned so much by teaching and doing at the same time. And um, you know, I was a mentor in that program for a long time. So of all my certificates, I'm most proud of that. And I think it's a really great example of how certifications don't have to look a certain Way, but they mm-hmm. do need to contain a certain content. Yeah. Um, since that time, I've now done Pilates, uh, mat work. I went through the reformer training, uh, Les Mills Body Pump. Same thing. I went through the training. I'm Schwinn cycling certified. I am bar, total marathon, total body bar. I'm trauma informed yoga certified, mm-hmm. which also has really served me well. That's been an incredibly useful certificate. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's all. But I also teach kickboxing. You know, at this point, I I can kind of teach I, with confidence, really, kind of whatever I yeah. believe I want. Oh, I'm dance. I'm dance fitness certified too. Nice. <laughs> Um, so what I, through my career, like most instructors, I didn't plan on being an instructor. Mm -hmm. Um, but what happened was I realized I could go anywhere in the world to teach and I could also hustle. So I've always been, you know, working in restaurants. I'm a writer. I currently just today finished up a five month contract with Adidas or Adidas, depending on where you are. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, and I've always just taught fitness and I started to realize what it, that it didn't really matter where I was so long as I could connect with my students and mm-hmm. have confidence in my ability to like read their body I could make it work mm-hmm. Um, and I actually started teaching online before the pandemic because of that, because I moved so much and I just was like, I'm sorry, I'm leaving Malta. And they're like, let's go online. (laughs) Sure. Okay. This is great. You know, started using Facebook and zoom and FaceTime and all the things, um, pandemic hit, I was of course, 100% online. And then we moved again. I'm now in Austria and I'm working the same hybrid situation. So I've got some paid online. I've got some unpaid online, like YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, I have private clients, I have public group classes, and then I also, you know, supplement it with like classes and hotels. Nice. So I think I'm the epitome of a mixed income earning fitness
0: <laughs> instructor. Oh, no. Any fitness in, instructor has to get into that lifestyle that it's not just one thing typically. that yeah. I feel like it's very rare that you you find an instructor that that's all they do is work in one gym. That I mean, typically you're doing so many different types of... I like how you use the word hustle because that's what you have to do if you want to stay in the industry. Oftentimes you're hustling. And I think uh, you got to give big kudos to you that you're hustling in different spots. You move to a new spot, you, you get on the ground and I mean, you hustle to find that work. Still, try to f- keep within the fitness industry, keep that passion going. Uh, because of all the things that you shared already, with the, the ways that you got into it, what is it that pushes you to keep wanting to share that uh, that passion of yours? That all the experiences, all that kind of stuff. So, I give you a big kudos to those that uh, you you move and you still you still stay with it. I, I mean, how many people? You've probably probably met yourself that they are in the fitness industry and then it looks like they're going to be moving up. I'm going to just not give it up. I'm done with it. And because it's hard. Uh, It's such a hard industry to work in and that kind of segues us to the next question to just continue to build the base of this episode. Now, uh, it's not going to be the big meat and potatoes of it, but uh, I thought it was very big in terms of uh, it's It's fascinating to hear. It's just fascinating to hear uh, you shared with me prior to this recording how you had an attempt to unionize the fitness in- industry. And I don't know how long ago it was, mm-hmm. but can you share some of that information, what you went through, what it was like, and even just how long ago that was?
1: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for those compliments. It's always, you know, it's always, uh, it's nice to hear (laughs) this industry. Like I said, you know, this industry almost killed me over and over again. I feel like a cat with nine lives here. And I've only been, Mm -hmm. you know, teaching full time since 2015. Uh, But it's also saved my life and made a better life time and time again, too. So it is fickle. It's fickle. Um, Yeah. So in January of 2020, I had been back in the USA for two years after being in Europe. And I, in January, in 2019, I had 21 sources of income. And I think 18 of those were fitness. And then, you know, one of them was private clients, which was actually a handful of private clients. So you can imagine like what that year looks like for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was in Seattle. And so there was just, there's a gym on every corner, Mm -hmm. you know, that people are, there's so much to say for is the local community into private sessions? Are they not, you know, there's every community is different. And Seattle, you, you could teach, you know, 5.30 AM to 9.30 PM, which I often did every day, Mm -hmm. you know? So I was so burnt out. I had lost and gotten so many jobs. I had, you know, no sick time, no paid vacation time. I had horrible interactions with employers. I had horrible interactions with other employees. I had weird interactions with students Mm -hmm. and I was so fed up with the whole thing. I was making good money, but like the cost, you know, was so intensive and it was such a vicious cycle, Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a W two one somewhere or a contractor, the other place, you still dealt with the same stuff. And it was still debilitating at times. And so I said in January, 2020, a new year's, I was like, either I'm going to change this industry or I'm going to get out of it. (laughs) It's funny because of what you just mentioned. Um, And as I said this to my brother-in-law, he's a teacher and he said, Oh, you should just unionize. Hmm. And I was like, what? so I kind of played with the idea, but in the meantime, I bought a van, and I planned to use my writing skills, quit my jobs, go on class pass, and van my way around the USA, and just mm-hmm. tell the stories of individual instructors, and basically start to see was my story unique, and was my hunch that this industry was cannibalistic true. Um, so I had was setting that up, and then coronavirus hit. Oh. And so at that point, you know, I was pretty stoked to be honest with you, because my life was, even though I was still teaching literally eight on average classes a day, and I demonstrate the whole class, Mm -hmm. even with private clients, it's like Mm -hmm. one of my things. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, But that's how it happens. And I've worked with a lot of people with like disabilities. And so it kind of helps. But anyway, Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I was home and I thought, you know, maybe by that time I actually had already, sorry, let me back up. I had already started to do some reach out to unions, mostly just as like a fact finding sort of mission, not planning on actually to unionize. I had started researching maybe what a good union would be, just very light. Um, Then when coronavirus hit, I was like, okay, so I can't go on this van trip. Why don't I go the union route? So um, that's when I got connected with the machinists. So this is the machinist in Seattle. And I do want to give them a shout out. All the names that I mentioned here today and the organizations that I've worked with, um, I absolutely am grateful to them for even considering our plight, um, regardless of the end result. So the -hmm. machinists were connected to me. So this is by this time, it's March 2020. Um, I'm working with a machinist. They had come to me because they had recently unionized truck drivers, Mm -hmm. which seems like an impossible feat because truck drivers are contractors. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to get too much into the weeds of unions, mostly because I still don't really understand them. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, But basically, unions are not built for anything except for a traditional employment model. And so the fact that the union was able to get truck drivers together to form a consensus. They had been suffering um, from just people undercutting them basically at every stage of their journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the machinists kind of were like, Hey, maybe we can unionize some other non-traditional industries. And that's when I literally, literally walked in the front door of the machinist. (laughs) I just (laughs) went there. (laughs) I had no appointment. You know, it was very off the cuff. I didn't (laughs) understand any of this. Um, so that launched a journey. Um, what really went well with that union was two things. My efforts at that time, they let me, because of their connections with the governor's office, I was able to sit at the table of Governor Jay Inslee, literally wow. the Zoom table, and advise on the reopening of gyms, and I mm-hmm. only... Did it through the scope of fitness instructors' needs and students' needs therein, since we do have such a close relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And interestingly enough, I was kind of set against a coalition of gym owners, gym managers, studio owners. And a lot of the time, how what we advised for safe reopening was polar opposite, Mm -hmm. yin and yang. And that was a very tangible expression of -hmm. the difference between coaches and instructors and the owners of gyms and everyone above them in the macro level of the fitness industry. And that afforded me an opportunity for the the legislative um, and advisory committees in Seattle to start to hear about some of the bogus stuff that goes on with (laughs) employment and safety in our industry. Mm -hmm. And there were several moments when they're like, wait, what happens? And I'm like, yeah, before coronavirus, we didn't clean anything anyway. You know, we (laughs) got hurt all the time. We have no paid time off. We have no vacation days. You know, all Mm -hmm. of these things was like a shock. shock. Um, And then the other great thing that came of it, well, I should say, actually, uh, another thing is that the machinist helped so much fitness instructors uh, to learn how to manage the unemployment system, which got very messy. And at that time, I formed what I called Group Fitness Instructors United, GFIU, which is a—it's um, not an organization. It's not a 501c3. It's just kind of what I built to start operating from. Maybe it would become a union in the future, maybe a nonprofit. Um, and they worked with GFIU to provide all of these documents and papers and meetings and support for instructors who were having problems with unemployment. And that was huge. We, we helped a lot of instructors at that time and I'm so grateful and proud of that. Um, the last thing that came of it was the union said, there's no real way we can unionize and it's, Because of the first issue being that we don't know who you are. We don't know what you do. And we don't know if all of you agree on that. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Who is a fitness instructor? What do they do on a day-to-day basis? And is there any consensus between us individuals, me and my friend, Rachel, who teaches strength, do we feel like we're doing the same job if I teach bar class? And until... All of us individual humans can come together and actually say, "We are this identity. We believe in it. We are not getting the value that we deserve as this unit. We can't unionize. You know, there's there's no foundations to your yeah. industry, and so they also therein have no proof. So you say instructors are getting hurt. Prove it. You say employees aren't pay- or employers aren't paying." Prove it. You say this job is um full of psychological harm. <laughs> prove it. You, we have no data. We have no surveys of fitness instructors. I was just looking today at a, a major website um, in our fitness industry and they were saying. We have no analysis of employees diversity, but we do know about the diversity of the executive level on some of our major organizations. And it's like, yeah, we have, we have no idea who is actually working in our industry, what they're doing, if they have money, if they're safe, if they're happy, if they contribute to their community. And we have really the identity of you know, whatever social wave is trending on Instagram. Yeah. And so they connected me to SMART, <laughs> S-M-A-R-T, which is the research arm of the Washington Department of Labor and Industries, hmm. which is interestingly the department that no one wants to hear from if they're an employer, because that usually means an employee has filed some sort of claim against the employer. That's where hmm. you go to file claims. Okay, But this particular research section of the industry is all about collecting data if it seems like a certain segment of the working population is suffering more than others. So I said, you know, we're suffering. And they said, okay, we'll put together a survey. And if it's really true, you know, you can, if you can get enough instructors to take this survey, we can collect data and find out if that's actually happening. Hmm. So, um, I started working with them, um, in the end, like I said, the machinists didn't work out, um, and it—you know—it's—it's it's a bummer, but it's true. Unions like them aren't made for mixed-income earners like me. So, as I was working with Smart and developing the survey, my partner got offered this job in Austria. So we decided to move to Austria, and in that time, I became aware that the American Federation of Teachers which is a different union entirely, had also decided to create a Fitness and Movement Professionals Union, FMP, I believe. And this was the brain or the... I don't know what to say. I was going to say brainchild. Now I want to say love child. That's also not, this is the baby of my dear friend, Emily Collinson. She and I were both featured in a men's, men's health magazine article on unionizing. Mm-hmm. And she is kind of famous now, at least to me, um, she and my other friend, Rachel Hornstein, they were both working for solid core, the we could call it a Pilates chain in D.C. during mm-hmm. coronavirus. And they successfully sued Solid Core wow. for having given improper safety precautions during coronavirus. Wow. And they also and you got to look this up. I don't know exactly how it all went down. But this also highlighted the issue of improper categorization of employment being that fitness instructors should not be 1099 contractors. That's actually unlawful. And so one of the hardest ways to kind of go at unionizing is to actually sue your employer. The Mm -hmm. easier way is a grassroots from the bottom lift up. The harder way is to sue your employer. So Emily and Rachel did that and they won. But part of the settlement agreement was that Emily and Rachel could no longer have any connection to anyone involved with solid core. I think Don't quote me on that, but it's something like that. So they basically had to step away from any unionization attempt that had happened thus far. Mm. So it it was a huge bummer because this thing that they had spearheaded, they could no longer be a part of, but it was already seeming to be rolling. So I kind of, you know, started paying union dues to them. I wasn't able to attend many meetings because we were moving across the world. Um, But at one point, the organizer just stopped answering my emails. I would check in every once in a while, see what's going on. And after months of effort, I finally got through to some representative at the American Federation of Teachers who said, Oh yeah, that organizer quit. Here's your new organizer. Mm -hmm. And all the while I had been paying dues, which were cheap. And I don't even understand how we were paying dues because we didn't have a real union. We just had a fledgling, what could become a union. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, that organi- organizer came back to me and said that all of the original crew who had been working on FMP were no longer involved. Mm. And so, you know, I, I pulled my dues and I don't know where that stands now.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I think all of this is a really great, uh, long-winded story as to why I don't actually support unionizing the fitness industry anymore. I don't think that's the right thing to do in our industry. I don't think that I, I, you know, I can talk about some unions that could do it for us, um, but it would still be an uphill battle, not because we're not worthy of a union, but because we still have some work to do amongst ourselves. And I really think until our industry has more standards and regulations, we are not going to have any backbone to stand up on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Before I jump in more with the the survey and stuff, I have a, story I want to share because it uh, it's just been <laughs> just hitting my head right now while uh, listening to all this and it goes back to one of the first things you said with, with the cleaning and mm. even I mean I'll share this on the podcast that I'm somebody that some people might say I'm a germaphobe some people might say that I'm just very clean and I, I the reason I say this all the time is that it's because I worked in a gym that mm. you see all the grossness from people whether it's in the locker room and the The image in my head is from when I worked even at a high-end gym. So I can only imagine working at a lower-tier gym that doesn't have a a constant cleaning staff, how much worse it is. But you see people using equipment, just sweating all over it, not wiping it down, not disinfecting it. And this was pre-pandemic time, pre-coronavirus. And all this stuff. Just always stuck with me. And that's why, like, even now these days, if I was to ever go to a gym, i I clean stuff before I use it. But I mean, mm-hmm. people probably now like, Oh, you're just probably afraid. Of, uh, you're afraid of coronavirus. No, I've always been like this because it's how gross these places are. Yeah. And yet you guys just want to reopen and make up some new cleaning, uh, like requirements. Come on. You guys didn't clean before and yet yeah, that was across the board, but that's going to get away from the the main thing here. I just wanted to put a little, uh, yeah. joke in there with things. But, um, you know, with you're saying with the survey and everything and, and the unionization attempt, uh, you know, that's part of, I feel like any industry is that we need information. I think that that's a good way. That's what I was thinking when talking about the survey, talking about things that people were asking. You need information. You need data to support. Your whatever you're trying to do, it it goes almost it's almost like word of mouth versus data. You need the data part. You need to be able to say, hey, this is this is what people are going through. This is what a lot of people are going through in order to start to make changes. And I think that your attempt that uh, that you outlined there it got pieces rolling in certain aspects. And we're going to talk about it more with the the survey part of it. But it's one of those things where uh, I'm someone that has had to read a lot of research and use research in terms of writing papers, but also how does it affect the way that we train? I just said this at a lecture that I was doing at the beginning of August with research. Research is done in perfect environments. They try to make them in perfect environments, which thus makes it hard to replicate when you are someone that's a regular trainer. that But then some traders may think, oh, then why do we need it? Well, you need it because it, it's guidelines. These are evidence-based guidelines that help you hopefully make choices to better your clients. That's why you need it. And it kind of replicates or it kind of crosses over to what we're talking about now with this survey. Well, there is no evidence-based. where There's no standard that you can look at point at and say this is what we're dealing with this is the demographics this is the fitness industry and part of it's because it's a very young industry we're still growing we're still evolving but i thought the piece that i really uh that resonated with with me was how you were talking about you don't know if somebody that technically works in the same industry but most likely does something different, teaches a different format, is a different type of instructor if they feel the same way. That really stuck out to me Mm -hmm. with that. And uh, a question that I want to ask you now is with some of these pieces, because we just had on the Kips podcast, Kate Finnamore, who uh, you are familiar with that you are friends with, and we're talking about inequalities on it. And I do want to, if you can, share some of those inequalities that people might have gone through and they maybe they don't even know. I know that I, and I think I admitted on the podcast that I was, I fell victim to some of these, the things that she was mentioning, because I just didn't realize that that was, it took me some time to think about it and be like, oh yeah, that, that, that's not right. What are some of those things? Because some instructors listening, might be like, oh, I've gone through that. I've done that. That's happened to me. And they don't realize it, that they are being taken advantage of. What are some of those things?
1: Yeah, so um, I think, you know, and right now I'm I'm trying to like pull up the last draft of our survey that hasn't Mm -hmm. been published because the survey went through so, so many drafts. I mean, it took me a year just working very closely with um, my contact at SMART. His name is Mike Foley, and he Mm -hmm. has been an incredible uh, guide in this journey. Um, But, you know, When it came down to figuring out like what inequalities I suspected were there and how to find out if they actually were there, we kind of looked at it as like, okay, personal health, um, interactions with your community, employment, uh, you know, stuff that happens while you're employed, Mm -hmm. and then interactions with your students and clients, And all of those come together to form what's called workplace precarity. And workplace precarity, um, interestingly enough, is not just about what happens in the workplace, but how that affects your functioning as a member of your society and community. Mm -hmm. So under each of those categories for personal issues, uh, some of the things that instructors come to take as part of our job would be going to work sick, going to work injured. Um, For instance, being injured on your way to work. I once got hit while I was on my motorcycle in Seattle. And I was, you know, I had three more classes to teach that night at three different gyms. I got back on my motorcycle. I mean, it wasn't obviously a big hit. The motorcycle was a little damaged. I was like bruised, but No one should do that. That's not, you shouldn't get back on your motorcycle and then go teach a cycling class and then go teach a bar class and then go teach a yoga class. Like you shouldn't do that. You should go home. You should eat a cupcake. You know, that's it. And it just goes to show how intense this industry can become. And the word brainwashing kind of comes to mind. I don't think that's correct, but it's the fear of, you could call it FOMO, you know, the fear of losing out on that income or that employer just firing you. So, you know, in the mental health uh, of giving and giving and giving all day long and often being undervalued in that give and interacting with people, you know, instructors are famously like not outgoing people. Mm -hmm. We just have these certain skills that we're able to channel. I mean, I can't speak for all, but many instructors are introverts just like any other industry, Mm -hmm. Um, but we don't, people often don't realize that. Um, So the next level of economic or yes, economic issues is we have taken for granted the fact that we are supposed to pay for every aspect of our job and then continue paying the person who bestowed upon us that opportunity to teach. So. Do we have enough money in the bank account all the time? Um, How much of our own income are we spending on things to be able to do this job? Do we get paid on time? Do we get standard ways of being paid? Um, does the pay increase with inflation? Has the pay increased over the years? Are we getting paid the same amount as our colleagues? And if not, is that being uh, decided on an objective scale based on some transparent decision-making paradigm? These are all things about the economic security of our work that we that we don't realize should be standardized. It's ridiculous for us to get paid $60 to teach bar. This is, I mean, this is a famous example. The YMCA and the Washington Athletic Club were, I would bounce between the two of those all day long in Seattle. I got paid $18.50 to teach a cycling class at the YMCA. Same class, same music, same student population, a little different, you can imagine. But, mm-hmm. you know, same, we'll say same fitness levels of my students at the WAC and I got paid, uh, I think it was $50 at that time. Same thing. So, you know, I'm okay with the YMCA paying a little bit less than the WAC because the members pay different, but to be honest, the membership isn't that different. Anyone who's been rich and gone to the YMCA knows they pay about as much as they would at the WAC and they do it for, you know, the goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, So, there's got to be some sort of scale that says if you're an instructor, you've been teaching this long, you're certified in this accredited organization and, you know, you're getting positive feedback from the students who come to your class. OK, you deserve between this and this, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it's part of employment that you that you get to negotiate that. Um, so then next, I think it was talking about our community. So do instructors vote How do they vote? Um, Do instructors feel represented by their government? How do they feel like they're represented by public entities in the same way other people are represented by public entities? Um, And I think this this leads into I don't know exactly how we where we kind of categorized it, but I think it was in this category that we started talking about gender, sexism, um, lack of representation for marginalized communities, being a person of color in the industry, um, being someone who wears a hijab or uh, any sort of scarf when they're teaching. Those are when we started asking those kinds of questions. And the rates of sexual assault, if I am correct, are extremely high in our industry. Not only have there been uh, lots of publications about sexual assault in the yoga industry recently, but I myself have been sexually assaulted Mm. by a student. And I know many instructors who've been sexually assaulted in a teacher training space, not in the yoga industry. Mm. So, you know, I think pretty sure that's where we put that in. And I think that's another thing, especially as a contractor, like when it happened to me, I was—he was my private client. This was a, a relationship that had formed, you know, organically. Well, who was I going to go to? Yeah. What was I going to say? You know.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and then the final part was public health. So this is saying, do your students get healthier? Do your students get fitter? Do they report to you positive outcomes from your work with them? Do your students pay you on time? How do they pay you? You know, how how do you feel? There's lots of questions like, do you feel stressed when you work with your students? Um, Do you feel relaxed when you work with your students? Um, You know, very like kind of qualitative relationship questions that could reveal that a lot of us you know, don't necessarily feel comfortable with a lot of clients and students. And the next question is, well, why do we still do it with those people?
2: Mm.
1: So those are kind of some of the inequalities that we cover in the survey, uh, just to really see if, if what, what's going on with that stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would would say with each of those, I feel like as you were reading them, just each one of them, stories are just popping up in my head. Yes. Instances where I have, gone through those and hopefully people listening, there will be a link to this after uh, the episode in the description so that people can participate in it. But I'm sure they will go through the same experience that I'm going through just listening and speaking with you now with it, uh, I mean, one of the ones that immediately popped out was talking about, do you feel represented at the the state level with your government officials? I would say most instructors say, I don't even feel represented with my gym. <laughs> do my yes! managers don't even have the, ba- the yeah. best outlook for me. I mean, I could share that. Of one of the... Uh, gym chains that I have worked for, I mean, this was years ago that I remember that I got let go because I was working, and this was when I was in college, I think I was working and doing, rendering like 17 or 18 hours worth of sessions when I needed to do 20. And Mm. I was quote unquote, their best instructor. They had brought me over from a different location and yet they were more than willing to just let me go and cut me and just take away all my clients within 24 hours. No notice, anything, because I wasn't working twenty hours. I was working seventeen or eighteen, whatever it is, right there, and that's just how they worked. And they don't, they don't care about you. They don't care that people, you know, enjoy training with you. That people would renew sessions with you. No, they don't care. It's a, it's a money thing, and I feel like uh, that just can take so many different directions with this podcast. with talking about that aspect there. But with all of these items there, I mean, one of the things that just keeps popping out in my head is with all these items, any inequality, anytime you've gone through an instance, I think you were spot on with how you were describing them that you don't know where to go because you're worried about, are you going to get paid? Are you going? Are you going to lose this client? Are you going to lose out on that potential money? Are you going to lose out on your job because maybe your employer just doesn't want to deal with it, or you didn't follow the proper steps potentially after because of you know just the shock of whatever instance it was? There are so many things that you don't feel represented with even your own workplace, and mm-hmm. so uh, things like what we're talking about now with with your survey and collecting that information. That's why it's important. Hopefully, that urges people to take those steps to. Pr- Take that time. I think it states in on the introduction that it's going to take about 30 minutes to do. Uh, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong on that. Yeah. Um, and it goes a part of like how I talked about earlier with all this information will be utilized to be able to have that type of data. That data that helps you, somebody that's going to go speak and somebody that's going to take this to the next steps, that they have that type of information to speak knowledgeably. on. It's not just word of mouth, not just standing up and say, oh, I have I know five instructors that have gone through the same thing. Nope, here's the data, here's the stats, here's the charts, all that kind of stuff to be able to point to all those items there. And so, I mean, one of the things that I shared in that Kate and I joked about in our podcast episode was, uh, I remember benefits, pay wages, all these things being talked about when I first entered the industry. Mm-hmm. And this was around 2009. Mm-hmm. And it was at a gym that had, I think, forty plus instructors. It was one of those ones where, so this was a, instructors had full time jobs there, but yet they were worried about benefits because either they were starting families or whatever that was. And this was back in two thousand nine. So we are still not even yeah. crossing those bridges. Yeah. We are still having to deal with these, and I honestly don't even know what what steps to go for I can't say this is one way to go I I will say that as this podcast host as a business owner that I personally in these last two episodes have looked at am I being uh, am I doing things that help my instructors be successful but also make them feel like they're being paid appropriately because I think that that's something that uh, our industry an issue and I will say this because uh, I'm never done I have no intentions of owning a gym, working in a mm-hmm. gym again, but I will say that gym owners, they're most likely business people. They are business owners that that the dollar sign is more important to them than anything. They're not fitness instructors like a lot of people listening to this podcast. And it creates issues. How do you you uh, share your information, share your thoughts with somebody that's not looking at it through the same lens, but yet they have just as much if I can't say just as much. They have more power than you within Mm -hmm. the industry because they control the money. They are the ones that they do have the data on. And yet it's one of those things that uh, it's unfortunate with our industry. So um, with this information that we want to get out there, the survey, all that kind of stuff, what in your mind is the goal? What is maybe a short term goal of collecting this information? Yeah.
1: Well, so thank you so much for sharing all that. I want to loop back with one thing. Yeah. You are a hundred percent right. A big, big part of the survey that I actually kind of forgot to include in that description um, is our relationship to our employers. Yeah. And we ask them, it's interesting. We ask a lot of the same questions about the client. Like if you have a private client as the employer themselves, and a lot of the questions Uh, of the employer are, yeah, have you been let go of on a job at the drop of a hat for no reason? And Mike Foley at SMART had a really astute uh, observation. He said, you guys are a lot like temp workers. And, And Mike has been so interesting. He's noticed so many Parallels. He's noticed how we're like temp workers mm-hmm. where we go into a place and, you know, we basically are just disposable when they decide they want to change the format or you don't work your full 20 hours, whatever. We also tend to operate, you know, a lot like housekeepers and mm-hmm. how physical the labor is and how undervalued we are um and working through pain and stuff so you're right if the survey don't anyway if, if anyone is like I want to talk about the way I was treated at wherever there's a space for you in the survey <laughs> please we can't wait to hear about it mm-hmm. <laughs> but um yeah so you know it's hard for me because I wrote when I came to this survey when I started to do it I was hot and I still am. I still am fired up about these issues. I love so many instructors dearly, and I hate watching them struggle even more than I hate watching myself struggle. Um, and I really believe we're doing something for the public health. We should be, you know, sponsored by the government. You know, our taxpayer dollars are not being lost on us. So I had though to take away those emotional ideas and really focus on creating the most objective survey possible based on my experience and all of the different varieties of work I had had in this industry. So I was kind of uniquely positioned in that I have taught a lot of classes in a lot of formats in a lot of countries. And so I could kind of see the whole scope of the different ways and, uh, employer or an instructor can be treated. And it was really my job to go in and Mike gave me surveys of precedent. So this survey looked at workplace precarity in Canada at a certain time period and asked these questions. Scientists have decided that these survey questions were valid. They were good. They got uh, quantifiable answers from it. And those answers have now been used in, in published documents that have made changes. So the goal was really to do that, to be able to take surveys of precedent. And we had like six to choose from, to be able to adapt them objectively to the fitness industry with as wide of a scope of options that, that were valid, but also not so wide that we couldn't actually get usable data from it. Mm -hmm. And then to try to chunk it out and break it down so that it wasn't an hour long survey to complete. So at the end of the day, you know, my goal from the survey is not to prove my point. Um, And frankly, I think my point will be proved. So I don't, I don't need to hope for that, you know, but honestly, I just want to be able to say, this is what the industry looks like. Students, this is what we deal with. Employers, this is what, you know, you think you might've cut a corner there. You're all doing it to us and we're all suffering that. Government. These are people that are active parts of your community that are paying to be part of your taxpayer system. Look at the way that our lives are. And then most importantly, to be able to go to instructors and say, truly, friends, we do have some commonalities. And with that data, we can move forward. Instead Mm. of just complaining on Facebook forums all the time, (laughs)
0: that's a good one. Uh, What is the goal for how many people need to complete
1: it? Oh my God, that's embarrassing. Uh, So, (laughs) (laughs) the beginning, so just based on the sub lists that I was part of in Seattle, substitutes here, there, uh, I had 800 instructor emails that I had literally sent an email to or been part of an email chain on in the past. So I thought if I, you know, can organize some people with group fitness instructors united, I can get and I can get at least half of my immediate contacts, so to speak, and then, you know, maybe I get in a blog or something, I thought I could get a thousand respondents. But I have really I don't want to say I've dropped the ball, but in moving to Austria, you know, that was a lot. When I moved here, just to kind of also another story, when I moved here, the government of Austria decided that being a freelance fitness instructor and writer wasn't substantial enough uh, or dependable enough income. I've made as much as my partner all these years, if not more sometimes, but wasn't a dependable enough read between the lines, traditional income to actually bring my partner with me as a dependent. So I had to go get a job as a housekeeper in a hotel Mm because I didn't speak German and then still was teaching online after that. You know, so it's not just the USA where this where we're not recognized. And in Mm -hmm. fact, it's worse in other countries. I think in some ways, I think capitalism in the USA really adds a huge um, hurdle for us and adds a lot of like guilt and shame, but lack of recognition, lack of pay, lack of benefits, that's happening all over the world. Yeah. Um, so whatever we do here, I really believe will have a cascading effect um, mm. globally. Um But where was I going with that?
0: The number, the number was the goal.
1: Oh God, oh God. <laughs> See, I, my, my brain was like, don't go there.
0: <laughs> so
1: I wanted a thousand. I have been really not doing as well as I hoped I would do. It's been harder to get people to respond than I thought it had been. And I think we're at about 250. And you know who's to thank for that? Kate, who you just had. She has individually, what we've come to find is that we literally have to reach out to one person, send a personalized message to them. Say, hey, I care about you. I care about our industry. I care about us. Will you please respond to this survey? It's the first of its kind. We're getting data on fitness instructors' lives, livelihoods, precarity. Mm-hmm. And if we do that, people will reply. The other big issue we have is not only how many respondents. Um, basically, if we can get 200 minimum completed surveys, then that's enough to start to make some uh, decisions, at least as to what else we need to study, you know, we can get get some quantifiable data and we can say, okay, this section, this has some stuff that we want to ask more questions about. And then we can launch a smaller, you know, and many smaller surveys after that to find, really get granular with these issues. but one of the problems is people aren't finishing the surveys. Mm. So of like the 250 we've already completed only 43% of them are complete front to back mm-hmm. and okay, fine. Then we can gather the data from those sections, but it'd be really great just to have 200 full complete surveys to where, you know, we can actually say, this is the landscape of this person's career.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I will say that, uh, Kate, I mean, she put that survey, and I mean, that's what sparked the podcast episode with her, and then this yeah. one, and just a, a random um, place that I commented on a Facebook group, and yeah. it's the way that things work sometimes. I ve- I very rarely will comment on anything on Facebook. It's. <laughs> I trend to, when I see these arguments, I'm like, oh man, I am passionate about that, but I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm, and that, that could be part of the issue sometimes. Maybe Facebook drama is not really my thing. So uh, I will say kudos to Kate. That's the that's the underline of it. The kudos yeah. to her for just sparking this. And I mean, it's, it's an uphill battle. I, that's the only thing I can do right now is sympathize with you with, the research aspects of it, I mean, you see how, and anybody that's listening can probably see how surveys that maybe they get from a company, unless it's maybe attached with a, uh, like a $5, $10 off Amazon credit or something like that. They're like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll complete it. But if it's just, okay, you need to do this. Can you do this survey to hopefully better our industry? Mm, I'm just going to keep working. Like people. Yeah. Uh, Unless they're really passionate about it. I feel like they just tend to stick to their Facebook drama groups. But uh, that's my own feedback on that. Well,
1: I mean, I know for me, you know, I teach all morning. I freelance right all day and I teach all night. And so I haven't been good at sharing this because I'm so, I am because I'm so embroiled in the industry, it's the, it's the total rat race of it. You know, Mm -hmm. you're just on the wheel. And I really do from the people who have responded and it's an anonymous survey. So I have no idea who's actually responded. I don't know who, you know, I can't even go up to someone and be like, Hey, finish it. Cause I don't know (laughs) how much they've done, but from the people, from the feedback I've gotten, people just feel so grateful to be heard. You know, and when we get into stuff, you know, like assault and racism and, you know, being a marginalized person struggling with microaggression on the daily, like they're so grateful. Or it doesn't matter to be fired from your job when you're a young person. You know, all of this is important and people just haven't been heard. I just think it's so hard for us instructors to say, I could sit here for 30 minutes for free and fill out the survey that hypothetically might do something for the industry without knowing how therapeutic it's going to be. Or I could plan my cycling class and I'm on, I'm there. I'm like, I'm planning my cycling class. You know, I, I need to make sure I keep money in the bank. So, um, You know, the only thing I can like say to those instructors is, you know, do it with a glass of wine after a long day teaching or Mm. do it in the moment when you are really furious about something, you know, and I think people will feel so much better once they know that it's not just a figment of their imagination. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: That's good. That's good. And so we'll leave some information about that in the description to get, hopefully get some people clicking on it, get, uh, people that listen to this episode, hopefully that spark something with them. I think that was a great way to hopefully connect with somebody that's listening right now and they do feel passionate about it. Or maybe they are on the fence about it. That's hopefully that little push that they need to just take that time because it's a step. It's a step in a, in. A direction, I think a positive one, but it's a step in a, a direction that hopefully pushes our industry forward. There's so many things that, in my opinion, our industry is just fueled by by money, that the way that the changes are happening, and it, I, it's there is an episode ruining in my head right now that revolves around the education part of it,
2: because the yes. things that
0: I've had to do, that I've personally done, that I know I'm one of the very few... Uh, it's a very small percentage of people that can say that they've done accreditation applications and I've done them, th- done three of them and yeah. I can say, I can speak on that, but yet it's something that it, our industry is affected big by it, but there's a lot of money behind it. And so hopefully it changes that it's not just fueled by money. There's decisions being made that improve the quality of the work environment, the the. Uh, Chances of improving your career in terms of moving up in your career. All these things that other industries have at least made some steps towards, ours is still just trying to figure out what it is. And so hopefully those positive things can come th- from the survey that this is a step. So I think yeah. it's a good... Go ahead.
1: Well, I have a question for you. Cool. And that's actually, you know, I mentioned earlier, I don't think unions are the way. Yep. I... Haha, I believe that I know the way. <laughs> so I want to ask you, I do see that you're a PhD candidate, which is super cool in kinesiology. I am, you know, I like you really, well, okay, let me go to it. How do you feel about licensing? What, what do you say about the idea of instructors being licensed professionals? Uh,
0: I will say that I, the way that I'll answer this and... I'll, I gotta put my joke in here first. That it's very <laughs> rare that somebody asks me a question, and sometimes it throws me off. I'm like, wait, you're asking me a question? Like, this is I'm the host of this podcast. It goes the other yeah. way, but <laughs> it's okay. This, I believe in you. Yes, as with this one, I see both sides because uh, for anybody that's listening to this podcast, they know that I have worked for two of the. I'll call it top 10 educational companies and I started my own and the two that I worked for that did have accredited certifications, I played a part in that process for it. And so I see it from that aspect, but I see it from the instructor side of it. The big issue from the instructor side is that there are so many instructors that do not have a college degree. So what, what is the plan for them? What then becomes the plan for them that, are they grandfathered in? Do they? Is there a program that another have to go through? Why would somebody that's maybe, uh, you know, forty plus, fifty plus, that's an instructor that's been in the industry for twenty years, why would they have to go through that? These are questions, big questions that will affect a lot of people. Um, but I think at the same time, this topic from the instructor end, newer instructors, it can benefit. It can create better. Um, Uh, communication between industries, the healthcare industry, Uh, a big thing that any fit pro, if you were to say, what if people could use their health insurance money for personal training? And that that would help then their overall health, that they would be able to work better, they'd be able to be better people, they'd hopefully have less dependence on pharmaceutical drugs. We could just go on and on and on and on and on for all the benefits of it. Okay, yeah, what are those steps? How do we do that? And because as we look at it now, there's a there's very few, if not just a handful that of health insurance companies that will allow that kind of stuff, because many I mean, if be like, well, exercise helps exercise is mm-hmm. an answer. So uh, from that end, but from the business side of it, from I'm going to go from the gym side now that gyms, they most likely do not want yeah. any type of licensure. They do not want it. And it's it's a money thing because it is much cheaper to get somebody that came off the street that does not have any experience to get them certified and uh, hopefully teach them up for a little bit make some money off of them and then just dispose of them if you get somebody that is now licensed it they have more education they have more knowledge in that area they're probably going to want more money they're probably. Gonna, push back on businesses in that aspect. And so it goes both ways in terms of, um, you know, gyms, instructors from the educational side of it, the it'll eliminate companies. It'll eliminate smaller ones, most likely. Um, I don't, I maybe would just get a, a rid of one program with KIPPS, but, um, you know, it is one of those things that, some attempts have been made in this area, but it's still like I've talked about before, like when I entered the industry, this was, again, one of those topics. So mm. I did not answer it. I gave a very workaround answer there because I don't know. I, I will do. I'm one of those people. I don't know an answer for it. I don't know um if I don't even know if I support it Um because would I fall in that area? Most likely because I have a piece of paper that says i completed some education but i know that there's so many people that it it would it would hurt so i can't say for myself that i would support it cuz i just there's too many people in my mind that i know would be affected from it so i can't give a real answer for it
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's hard i i'm with you the thing i love most about the fitness industry is i think it's an equalizer and malta i worked with in the same day for instance i would work with uh twin girls who were uh, Mm non-verbal Osbergers. I would work with a swimmer with one arm. Mm -hmm. I would work with a crew of 60-year-old ladies. I would work with a bunch of sexy, hot yogi Mm -hmm. young people. Mm -hmm. And I work with a millionaire. or I guess he's a billionaire, but they I mean, like one of the richest people in the whole world you know, um, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter what you look like, where you're from, like what you had. A burpee still sucks. Yeah, That's yeah. why I love the fitness industry. And it is the same for instructors. I've heard stories about kids from the slums of Brazil. I hope that's an OK word to say, um, you know, not good spaces in Brazil being shipped up here to be jujitsu instructors. And then they become local celebrities mm-hmm. and they finally, you know, get the respect and pay that they had never expected to get. Um, I love how equalizing the industry is. I love that a Zumba instructor can take a Zumba instructor course and become that and really benefit their students, themselves, their people. However, if we want all these people to have opportunity, we also must be concerned about their protection. Mm-hmm. And if we want to protect people, we have to be able to validate their skill. Yeah. So the licensing might not need to look like physical therapy licensing. It might not need to look, you know, um, like sitting the bar or something like that. But to me, licensing goes hand in hand with having an objective, non-biased, Public or nonprofit entity that serves as the reporting board. And I look a lot at the American Bar Association. That's a volunteer run organization of lawyers by lawyers. They keep lawyers safe, they hold lawyers accountable. You can report to them if there's an issue, and they're constantly working on making the industry better. They're amazing. Their publications, their science, their thirst for knowledge, their self protection, and it's all nonprofit. So I don't see why something like that couldn't happen in our industry. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, if we can create the proper licensing structure, I mean, every Zumba instructor needs to know how to give CPR. Every Zumba instructor needs to know the signs of heart attack and stroke. Every Zumba instructor needs to know that the knee bone is connected to the leg bone mm-hmm. and how those work together, you know. And it's an unfortunate reality that people haven't learned it. Mm-hmm and that's still happening. And this dance, this dance certificate course I taught, they were, it was so bad and they didn't even know about copyright for music. And they're telling us to go, you know, walk into these commercial spaces, charge money and play Britney Spears. It's like, no, you can't do that, you know? So I do think that there are certain standards. I do think there could be like a graduated system and that pay can match, you know? And as a compelling reason to continue educating yourself, you could get your one Zumba certificate and you're not going to get paid that much. And, yeah. you know, you're going to know the basic foundations and Zumba. And then from there, you can you know potentially earn more by further educating and further niching out. Um, but that's then where unions come in. Because if we have a union, the union pays for all of that. So when I, when I think about unions, when I think about licensing, when I think about protection, I really think they all go hand in hand. And I would lean toward licensing first only because in this brief research I've done, I think a lot of people are getting physically injured in our industry from lack of um, proper training. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing our government will listen to the most. Unfortunately, if we say we're underpaid, they're like, roll their eyes. But if we say people are cracking their schools in Pilates reformers classes, that's a little different.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you can go off a big tangent right there with, uh, I mean, different types of legal battles. And I just heard about one recently that, uh-huh. but um, you know, those are things that. It's good insight. It's very good insight. And I don't want to push it too much on that one because. Yeah,
1: it's oh, contentious. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: But um, really solid right there with this information. And, you know, for people listening, I, I do hope that they take that time to just contribute in, in that way. I think it's part of being an in industry. You do things to also help your industry. Do not just have a me, me, me. You got to look at it in terms of why you entered it to help others. And in this part, in the survey, you're helping other instructors. So yeah. there will be information about that in the description. We're going to get now to the podcast takeaways yes. for this episode. And it's going to be a good one in terms uh-huh. of, um, you know, this question, as I always mention, every instructor, every fit pro takes this question a different way because of their experiences. And with Emily, I mean, she shared that she has Worked in different countries, worked in different areas. Her education and even the work she's done here, she shared different stories. So, of course, her insight, her background is going to depict how she responds to this. So, I'm excited for it, Emily. What are three myths about the fitness industry?
1: Okay, myth number one: instructors just want to get paid to work out. Myth, <laughs> and all time. Myth number two someone who works out in front of a camera for social media is a coach or an instructor. Hmm. Okay. Number three, only people who are obsessed with exercise and strengths should bother to learn about the science behind movement.
0: Mm. Oh man. (laughs) And you want me to, to give feedback on one of those. Oh man. Okay. I'm going to say the last one. That's going to be the one that I'm just going to briefly expand on because um, Kate and I kind of talked about this with the education of uh, entry-level certifications, group fitness, personal training. But I would say that group exercise, if that is, should be interested in those items. I feel like that's one of the areas that we see less of, We see more of, uh, with group exercise formats, more just thinking about the, the queuing and putting together a class. But well, why are you putting certain movements in that, in that choreographic? Why are you putting certain exercises, different populations in these positions? Because group exercise instructors, they see so many more, they probably triple, if not even more people per day. Because they, because of the format they teach and being diverse, and it makes it hard. It makes it tough. It's one of the harder things in my mind. So that's might be my response to that. Before we sign off, Emily, can you give information about websites, social media links, all that kind of stuff?
1: Yes. Okay. So my uh, mine's extremely easy. Emily Stewart fitness.com. Uh the organization I'm still, you know, kind of operating under, you could say is Group Fitness Instructors United. That's GFI-united.org. Also the handle, GFI United. Of course, my handle is Emily Stewart Fitness Everywhere. Easy. Um, I also want to mention, I'd like to mention, actually, I should have said this. I do think that there's two, if you want to go look more into unions. Mm -hmm. There's two unions that are really exciting that are changing the way unions are known. The first specific to our industry is the Yoga Teachers Union in Great Britain. That's yogateachersunion.co.uk. And they have unionized yoga instructors across different uh, locations, different geographies, and different studios. That has never been done in the history of any type of work before Union. So it's very exciting. Look them up. And then um, based in New York, I believe, but they're also national, is the Freelance Solidarity Project. That's freelancesolidarity.org. Um, They're part of the National Writers Union, and they're a union for digital creators. Hmm. So again, freelance contract, not tied to an employer and a variety of different modalities. They recently passed what you might have heard about, the Freelance Isn't Free Act in New York, which protects protects gig workers um, from not being paid. So I'm really curious to see how this bill, which when it gets signed in by the governor will be official legislation, how it affects any contract worker or mm-hmm. any freelancer. So I think those are two, um, we'll, I'd like to make sure we link that here too, mm-hmm. To very interesting unions to keep your eye on. Maybe unionization is, you know, more possible than than i think and we just have to watch them and you know ask some questions
0: great stuff great stuff um all that information will be in the description to go find out more and especially information to connect with emily if you want to follow her all that kind of great stuff thank you emily for coming on this podcast sharing all this information i mean this episode flew by easy easy listen so thank you so much
1: Thank you. I really appreciate what you're doing. I'm so impressed with Kipps. So keep being uh, the right kind of leader.
0: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs)